0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of BG Banter. We're in the Kiryu studio on Friday, April 28th of 2023 and I'm here with Daniel riggiger Hello. And we have a guest here, Mackenzie Midby. What's up? And today we are going to be talking about two very interesting films or TV shows. So first one we're going to talk about is Bo is Afraid, the latest Ari Aster film and we're also going to talk about The Last of Us, the hit HBO, HBO TV series. It's been out for a while but we really didn't have anything else to pair it with and we have a lot to say about both. And we're going to begin this conversation with Bo is Afraid. This, as stated, this is the latest film from Ari Aster, writer-director of Hereditary and *Midsummer*, And the cast includes Walking Phoenix, Patty LuPone, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan, Stephen Clinton henderson and Parker Posey. And the plot of Bo is Afraid, I'm going to Look this up on IMDb because I don't even know how to describe this plot. So basically, uh, to the, following the sudden death of his mother, a mild mannered but anxiety ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he barks on an epic odyssey back home. And that's the basic gist, but there's so much more that unravels in, the, in this three hour long epic. And what did we think? And I'm dying to hear what <laughs> yeah, you have to dude. say. I'm dying
1: to hear. Yeah. So I went to film scene yesterday, around 645. I got out of my meeting early. And it's like, okay, I'm just gonna sit so watch Bo's Afraid, see what, see what all the hype's about I mean, I've seen Ari Aster films before. I mean, Hereditary is a great horror film. I really, like, I really liked him in some more. Some more. Um, I think he is a really, like, talented director. And Bo's Afraid had a lot of hype behind it, really. <laughs> because, well, for one, Lockheed Phoenix, everybody knows who that guy is. And, you know, Ari Aster is a pretty respected director now. And, you know, obviously he's like a director where you either love his films or hate his films. And, um, I remember sa- I sat down in the theater and half the time it felt like I was in such a fever dream, like a, like a really like surreal fever dream of a film. Cause it's like you go into the film and it's like it just starts out odd and then it kind of continues that odd and sandy throughout and you know after the three hours hit and I like walk out I like walked home in dead silence <laughs> like because usually I'm just gonna I don't know pull up my playlist and like listen to something up Doom or something and I like walk home in complete silence it's like saying what the hell is that <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and no, I think if like you know from a filmmaking perspective, this is like a gorgeous film. I think a really well shot. The production design is really great. Joaquin Phoenix puts in a great performance. Um, what's the name of the actress who plays uh, Mona? It's uh, uh.
0: it's two. It's two actresses. Two actresses. Um, pa- Patty Lupone is, um, I guess, older Mona, and then young Mona is Zoe Lister Jones. Yeah.
1: But, yeah. Patty. Uh, yeah. Both of the actresses playing Mona. Um, really worked out pretty nice. I really liked your performances in that film, and also it's also nice to see Nathan Lane in something after a while. Um, but it's gonna be hard for me to really judge just on a story level because it's just a film that is so incoherent in every way. But it still manages to bring across some emotions, which I think we'll probably get into. But yeah, I don't know. I mean. Pretty impressive at filmmaking-wise. I still have to process what I just watched. So.
2: Yeah, um, I watched it sometime last week, and I was just blown away by it. I thought it was a beautiful film. Um, I think that it's a definite shift from Ari Aster's um, *Hereditary* and *Midsummer*, both of which I love a lot. But um, it kind of reminded me of one of his original. Um, Davy films. Um, we need to talk about the Johnsons, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just so obscure. Um, makes no sense until, like, kind of the end. Um, he has, like, such a keen ability to put all these themes together and mush them together, and it takes a couple rewatches to actually understand them. Um, and I'm sure some people don't like that, but. Um, I've rewatched *Midsummer* and *Hereditary* multiple times, and love both of them so much. Um, I'm hoping to rewatch Beau's Afraid* pretty soon. Um, I love the mixed mediums as well. Like, I thought, um, without getting too much into it, um, Bo's journey going through these different um, worlds, essentially, and these different mediums he's in, he encounters is just so incredible. And his character fits every single world, which is really neat. Um, and that shows Joaquin's ability to act so incredibly. Um, I'm always impressed by his performances.
0: Yeah, is Bo- Afraid was one of my most anticipated films of 2023 because Ari Aster has had an incredible one-two punch. Um, Hereditary *Midsummer* are incredible films, two of my favorite films, actually, and he has he has this ability to create a really, really disturbing and bizarre um, film, but it not only sticks with you, but it's not just done for shock value. Like there is so much substance to substance to it, like thematically, subtextually, um, and symbolically. Like, and it's the type of film that you want to go back and rewatch again. And what I also really respect is that he's not afraid to take risks. Like, say what you will about some other filmmakers, but Ari Aster goes all in with any film yep. he makes. And *Bo's Afraid* is the epitome of that because it really just seems like a 24 was like, we trust you, do it, do whatever. We're not gonna interview at all. And he did it. This is three hours long, is a surrealist black comedy kind of quasi horror film. It's like a mix between David Lynch and Charlie Kaufman put together. It's like kind of like everyone else. I had to really sit and like process this because sitting in the theater, I was shocked. But at the same time, when I really sat and think about it, I I've only seen it once, and I would like to go back and rewatch it again when I have time because it's so long. It doesn't, it doesn't have the, the specific oomph that Hereditary Midsummer had because those movies disturbed me way more. And Moe's Afraid is, is, is a disturbing film, by, for sure, but it also blends a lot together, and by the end of it, I'm just sort of confused with what the intentionality behind everything was because I'll say this, I love the first half of this movie. The first half is awesome, especially with Bo in his apartment, and then when he goes on to this next scenario with like this family, it's just so bizarre and weird. But then the second half when, I'm gonna try not to spoil it, but once these goals get more and more achieved, then it's just, then it goes really, really abstract. And it's like, what a weird decision. Like what, what was, not what's the point, but like, what does it mean? And it's like, and, In hereditary, midsummer, like you question that, but you also have some basic idea. Whereas Bozefrey, I think, intentionally throws these curveball, curveballs at you to confuse you in a way that I kind of like, but also won't stick with everyone. And I I have a story to tell because when I saw this at film scene, the audience that I saw it with were not happy at all. (laughs) There was one guy at the end of it who said, "What was that?" Not just not that he had, he said another word I can't say on the show following the what part. But um, yeah, no, no one was pleased at the end of it because it ends in a spot where it's just it could be very unsatisfying. But in a way fits tonally and, and it is the type of film that isn't meant to please everybody. But I respect Ari Aster for doing that because like, he, he, isn't, he isn't really a mainstream filmmaker. He does stuff that's outside the norm and he makes stuff that he wants to make. Some can interpret that as potentially selfish or narcissistic, but I think it's really, really bold and more filmmakers need to do that because it is an expressive art form. It's not, it's become so like commercial and corporate and this shows like, yeah, this is true independent filmmaking at its finest. And above all, Aster knows how to direct his actors. Like Joaquin Phoenix is especially incredible. It's one of my favorite performances of him. And yeah, it's just, there's, a lot to just unpack and it's still it's only been a it's been a week but it still has stuck with me which i really really like
1: yeah it's, it's kind of like because i think the difference between this film and um hereditary and midsummer is just that there is not a moment where you feel grounded at all there is not a single moment i mean at least you can kind of say in her and like midsummer after like they take the uh suicide and um, drugs that they, you know, they're kind of out a little bit after a while, but you know, it still finds a way to keep itself grounded, the same thing for hereditary. This film, it's like you don't feel grounded at all. <laughs> it's like it's like at a high where you can't come down from. It's just like mm-hmm. it's, you're really stuck in like this anxiety induced world. Like, even like once, because you know, it's kind of starts off in a way where it's like it's very anxiety induced and then. Bo starts to enter into this world that is so like and crazy and insane and it's like it's a, it's a world that you know feels very like scary to him which you know obviously hence the title Bo is Afraid like it's a it face so anxiety induced half the time and you know it does take time to like really settle down and like you know um really you know, explorer, but I, I really do like the fact that they kind of brought in like this mix between like stop motion animation and 2D animation mm-hmm. in one sequence. Um, and it, it feels it's such a pleasant sequence, like it doesn't feel like quite as disturbing. I mean, it gets disturbing eventually, but it doesn't feel like it really feels like the anxiety induced fever dream we started out with. and. I think that's what that might be the turning point in the film where like it starts to kind of lose its touch a little bit, like after that sequence. I think then it tries to get back to the story and I don't know, like, it's, I think it works in some respects with like the visual imagery, but I think it just still kind of I felt like it did better when it started out than it did when it ended. I think that's kind of where it is. Yeah, I
2: think like, um, the beginning half is just like punch after punch you kind of don't get a break um which i really appreciated because it made the three hours not for like three hours it was it felt fairly short for me um mm-hmm. there probably could have been more and i would have been fine with it um but definitely at that turning point was when i was like okay like <laughs> what's going on um because then you know they started they started tackling like more um like you said, like trying to wrap up these stories and trying to explain them a little bit more, and like why Bo is going through what he's going through, and none of it makes sense. Um, I sat there like racking my brain the entire second half. Like, what what does this mean? Why why is he here? What what does it mean for this person to appear? Um, and I just like I that's why I feel like it's definitely. Um, something that I need to rewatch and like go in with a notebook or something because there's so much um symbolism in the second half specifically that um Aster like barely touches on um but it's enough to like evoke emotion and evoke curiosity in the audience um and I like I still I I feel like I remember the first half a lot more than the second half because of that because I was just so confused (laughs) the entire second half um but it's still, like I said, three hours did not feel like three hours. It moved so quickly. I think the final, final couple of minutes was where it really stretched. Um, but the that final scene. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was definitely meant to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it made you kind of sit um, with the characters and like confront um, all of the, all the problems that had led up to this point, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Since so much of this is focused on Bo's journey, I think that's why the first half succeeds a lot more. And when I say the first half, I guess, I guess more like the first um, two thirds. Yeah. Following the, there's a scene where Bo goes to a traveling theater and that's where, it's sort of, this is in the trailer so it's not really a spoiler, but it turns into like this animated hybrid pretty much mm-hmm. where it's like this sort of idealized life in a sense. And that, that whole sequence was beautiful. And it's, it's very long too, it's like a 20 minute sequence that kind of diverts from everything. But it's it's done in a way that's like, okay, we understand more about this character because Bo is such a anxiety induced, fearful character just everything around him. Mm-hmm. Like he, what's genius about the direction of the film is the fact that every one of his interactions is interpreted in a way where it's like, okay, is this really happening or is this how he views the world? There's a scene where um, he's running out into the street and he's trying to get the attention of a police officer. And the police officer pulls out his gun and he's just like, don't make me do this, don't make me do this, I'm going to shoot you. Even though Bo is not doing anything, he's not the criminal in this situation. So, But it's framed in where it's like, oh, this is actually happening, but maybe it's not. It could all be in Bo's head. And with that context in mind, it makes you rethink what is every single shot really really like in reality instead of his head and that continues on but when he does have to face his fear of actually achieving the goal of seeing his mother that's when sort of the surrealism kind of dies but at the same time does restart in a new way and that also gets more confused i think that's the problem is that like Ari Aster had a very clear idea of how he wanted to tell the journey part he even called it a jewish lord of the rings too he said that in an interview (laughs) and once he, you get to the location, it's just like, I think, I don't want to say he wrote himself into a corner, but it's just like, how do you, how do you build off of that too? I think that's why the second or the last third kind of lost, lost me or was like losing me a little. Mm-hmm. There are some amazing parts in it. Like there's a scene in, in an attic, which I'm not going to say anything else, but <laughs> it is very, very audacious and bold. And that also showcases some of Joaquin and Patty LuPone's best acting in the film. And... Yeah, I also really love the whole sequence with, um, with Nathan Lane, who's like this, he's a father, and he has a daughter too, who, um, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a whole other can of worms, so it's just like, I don't even know where to go from there, but we'll continue more with our conversation of Bo's Afraid after this quick PSA. Welcome back to BG Banter, we're continuing our conversation on Bo's Afraid. Um, do we have a favorite sequence in this film, like?
1: I mean, I'm guessing for me, yeah, it's still that animated sequence. Um, I do really like how that was like paced, and it it felt like very like melancholic, I guess. I mean, it, which is odd, especially for a film like this where You know, half the time it's like anxiety; it's pretty anxiety induced. But it's like, and but I feel like this is just very it felt very nice to kinda of see these mediums of animation and just really good acting from Joaquin Phoenix I do to some point where like I kind of lost the fact that it was Joaquin Phoenix who was acting. It was very it felt super realistic in some way, but also kind of felt very surreal. Um so I do feel like that it It definitely, I think that's like the sequence that probably stuck with me the most. And I think it's quite going to stick with a lot of people, like, after this film, like, regardless of whether or not the film's going to, like, like, regardless of the criticism it's receiving. Um, So I feel like like that's probably my favorite. What
0: about that scene with the paint?
1: (laughs) I don't know. That was was something. I mean, there's a lot of memorable scenes in this Mm -hmm. film. It's like it's so much of, like, the can of worms aspect that you mentioned with, like the character of, like, the teenage daughter, but it's, like, there's so many things in this film where it's, like, some like, so many scenes and sequences that are hard to forget. Like, in it's three hours. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: paced really well, but... yeah. 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 Um,
2: I think, I definitely agree that I think that theater, um, sequence is, is probably, like, my favorite, but... The sequence in the house um, with the teenage daughter was kind of um, insane. Like it, it really sets you up to um, have to face everything else with Beau specifically. Um, and that's where it's kind of like riding this edge of, like um, you mentioned earlier Matthew, um, Beau is it what Bo sees or are we seeing, you know, the world as it is? Um, and that's where it starts blurring that line because you really don't know whether um these characters are as like crazy as Bo is seeing them or whether they're just normal people who are trying to live with this crazy man around them um so I really love that I also loved um the parents (laughs) they were (laughs) like trying to um trying to use him as like um this replacement almost and it was so it was so odd, like it made me uncomfortable for Bo to see him going through these motions with these random people, um especially because he was a grown man being treated like a child almost um, and there's just something up with them the entire time that I don't know if we really find out why they act that way
0: i think I think it's it's a testament to just the direction of that scene because before that we see just some very bizarre things <laughs> yeah. and yet we have this we have this family who is almost like this idea the idealized American family in a way but there's a point where they're so overblown with kindness I guess that that in and of itself becomes um disturbing and uncomfortable so like that forced happiness that forced positivity that doesn't really seem natural in a sense it's like it's so fake almost and that's kind of like even what the how the the set design isn't that's in that scene just the house and the scenery it's all like bright and colorful and lively so it's just like yeah maybe this isn't real maybe who knows what actually happened i really just don't know um there's also a lot of flashbacks in in this film too uh particularly a lot of stuff with with beau and his mom and also um when he's a teenager which uh whoever the, i don't know who the kids are who played um young Bo and young um Elaine. Yep, Elaine, Parker Posey's character. But they look exactly like the actors, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's very impressive. And that whole, that's like an, I forget when that specifically comes up in the movie, that whole scene. Was it in the, it was, the it house? Was
1: sometime, um, I think it was sometime in between that. Like, yeah, I think it was. No, it was the in the car. Yeah, in the car. It right? was in the
0: car. That's what it was. Because they were driving around and um, they were blazing up. And so... <laughs> yeah,
1: it, yeah, they, they were they Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean it it was it's like just so many scenes in this really <laughs> like work. And I haven't gone back to the house. Like I, I think it's like full one, I do like how they were kinda of playing it pretty comedically. I think Nathan Lane, like, you know, it's been a while since we seen that man in anything. I mean he's producer who's Lion King. Um,
0: he's more of a theater actor. Yeah, more <laughs> a
1: theater actor, most certainly. But I think it's like I do kind of like the way Nathan Wayne like acts a lot of the time because it's just it's just like that voice that kinda of makes me laugh a lot. I mean, especially like in Bird and I think it's like with the birdcage, like when at comedy film of Robin Williams, like he's very good with good enough. I might be wrong, it might not be the birdcage, it might be something else. But he's like I do like how he kinda of played off like Bo in that scene and like, you know, this kinda of comes off like pretty like like just very like nice but it's also like that type of comedic nice that you hear and and i don't know like half the time it's like he's like yelling again yelling in like the scene but it's like a positive yelling and <laughs> you really just love
0: that well it's, uh, it's so condescending too yeah. <laughs> like just like i'm trying to work with you man but just like now you're really testing my patience yeah he doesn't change his his tone.
1: Yeah, and then it's like you then you have a, the contrast with like the daughter who is just like not positive at all. Like, <laughs> this is a very disturbed individual, and it's like I like everybody like maybe apart from like the mom. because like, the mommy kind of got like some disturbing stuff with too. But it's just like it's a po- it's like all that positivity like contrasting of all that negativity. Mm-hmm. Like that's just what makes like the whole house scene work.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and, and we say scene but it's like it's more this movie is basically made up of four or five like major sequences mm-hmm. that last for like a really really long time because the whole opening in the with him in the apartment that's like a solid i don't know 40 minutes maybe yeah. <laughs> that's a long time the house sequence is probably longer then you got the theater sequence then you got when he goes to his to his um his mom's house mm-hmm. and that's like the last hour of the movie so yeah it's i am curious um this movie this was 824's most expensive film i'm not going to say the the amount because i can't on the live radio but i don't know if it's going to recoup its investment honestly at this rate it didn't it, like it did fine and it, it actually did really well in its limited release when it was only in five theaters but when it expanded it did okay and i wonder based on the reception of this what well, what is the future for Ari Aster. I think he's still going to have some, like a good working relationship with A24 but will they allow him to make something like this again? And I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say no honestly. Yeah
1: I mean I feel like that you know I think like you know as somebody like Jamie and Chazelle um, and uh, Robert Eggers you can kind of say like their first couple films were received very well. I think even like The White House made like, a pretty good investment upon it upon its return, and it's probably the same thing of like Giselle's first three films. Um, I mean, well, first man didn't make too much, but, you know, Syria started like, you know, to understand like, you know, these young directors probably are able to make back investment. I mean, obviously absolutely can't say much for Giselle after Babylon's bomb last year, but, you know, it's like, it's that kind of thing. And I think, you know, Aster, I mean, though, know, Hereditary or. Good as like those films are, it, I mean, I think like, Mind are really divided audiences. Like, I think people either love it or hate it. Um, and so I don't know if that was like the key point to saying yes, we'll give you complete creative control, no limits here. You, all the fences are down, the gates are open, and I feel like that with this film, especially if it's held. Being received financially at the moment and probably critically as well because I do know like people are either like hit or miss on it right now.
0: Yeah, it's pretty divided.
1: Yeah, pretty divided. I don't know if A Twenty Four is gonna like give Aster that much control, like as much as he yeah, had with this film because it kind of like felt, like I said, it's kind of felt like that the film really horrorized a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like, you know, at the screening I was at, it's like, you know, there's a fair number of people and half the time, they're like, you know, just like looking so confused and like, trying to figure out what is going on. There's
0: there's some walkouts in my screen. Yeah,
1: I mean, there was like one person that like, literally stepped up and just like, I can't do it on the regular. He's like, what? And then just like, literally walked out. This, out the upstairs doors. But on the
0: flip side of that, there were people that, at least at the screen that I went to, were congregating outside the theater and discussing. Oh, right? yeah. And that's yeah, what that's that that. the response that I think... I think Aster wants that type of divide response. He's no stranger to, like, polarized mm-hmm. responses, but I think this is where he was, like, really, really pushing. Not with just disturbing factor, because I will would, would admit this movie is not as disturbing as Midsummer or Hereditary, but it's just... Weird it's off-putting it's uncomfortable. and It's just like yeah for some audiences. That's a little too much I would say.
2: Yeah, I feel like A24 was like fully aware of what they were getting themselves into when they greenlit this film um, Because I think they they also trust their audience enough to you know Come back to them come back mm-hmm. to Ari Aster even if they hate his film um, it's crazy that you guys had those experiences because I think my Um, my showing, everyone was having a great time, it was really intriguing like everyone was laughing Um, at one point near the end something um, the attic scene happens and everyone's dead silent and you hear this guy like giggling and then my entire group, um, there's like four or five of us just burst out laughing and the entire theater starts giggling with each other Um, and I really like that I feel like Maybe um, they were more prepared or maybe it was the audience itself mm-hmm. that was kind of helping each other through the film. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I,
1: no, I did have people laughing at the screen at the right moments. I mean there was like times where it's like you, there are p- times where people are laughing it's like,
0: I, I noticed that people were people were re- kind of similar to my experience. People were really into the first half, yeah. but then once the theater scene happened, that's when I think it was losing people. There was a couple, but sitting behind me, that walked out during the theater scene. Wow. But then when the ending happened, which I I don't want to give away the ending to this, I f- I remember sitting thinking just like it would be hilarious if the credits just started rolling now, <laughs> and it did, and and people were pissed. <laughs> they were not happy about that at all. So I think people had the same reaction that I did, but because of the ending, that's what, that's what made them hate it. So, yeah. Honestly,
1: yeah. I, I did kind of like that dead silence a little bit at the end, yeah. Oh, I did too, I yeah, thought it was yeah, fantastic. It, it felt like peaceful, I don't know. Like, it's the sound like you're at kind of that bliss, I'm guessing it's kind of the purpose, I guess. No, yeah,
0: I get why, so.
1: But it's, I guess, I don't know if like, people were ready for that, though. Like, this kind of, of like, you know, was into some deep meditation after, like you know, experiencing like a a very traumatic thing. It's just like that's, I guess, guessing that's like kind of the feeling I think Aster wanted in some way.
2: Yeah, it felt like a lot more anticlimactic than hereditary Midsummer's endings, because mm-hmm. um, uh, you know that it's the ending with you know Midsummer she she's in her um, her floral costume dress and watching this uh, building burn down, and then hereditary they're in the um cabin Mm -hmm. and so it's just this one it's just like it happens and then you're like oh that's yeah that's all you know like he makes you sit in it and it's really interesting that he chose to take that route instead of the more abrupt um endings
0: yeah he didn't cheap out which Mm i which i respect Mm -hmm. but we're just about out of time for our conversation on bo's afraid so final thoughts
1: I think it's gonna take me a while to like realize like whether or not this film really paid off. I think there's like a lot of things that really work here. I think the cinematography, production design, and Joaquin Phoenix's performance so, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance works um, incredibly well. Um, I think the supporting cast does a really good job, and I do like it that it really dove into the sur- surreal, so surrealism of the whole concept of the film, because I think the film is, like I said, it's, just, it's like a high end, you can't come down. Like, it's just that type of film. And I really do respect that Asterix really went full all in on this. Um, I'm guessing it's just going to be a while before, like, you know, an audience will come back to this and like mm-hmm. look back at it and say like seeing this as like either a great film or a bad film. It's gonna be a while. I think you know people have warmed up on Midsummer a little bit, and now Hereditary is considered a horror classic. So I think it's gonna. So maybe Beau's Afraid can get that type of response, mm-hmm. but we'll kind of see. I mean, it's only time will tell. Uh, as of now, I think like my rating is undetermined. <laughs>
2: Um, I just, I really hope it isn't um, unmentioned at uh, the awards come next year because I did the same thing to Midsummer and it was um, really disappointing. So I hope it at least receives some nod. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's a very unique film. I, regardless if you either love or hate, but I was afraid, I think one thing that and everyone can agree on is that you are never going to see another movie like this for a very, very, very long time. And I respect Ari Aster so much for just really, really going there, even if not everything works. Not everything works in this film. I think at some points it is a bit, it is a little messy, but I just admire so much of how how far he pushed the envelope of what could be done with this type of surreal storytelling, surreal filmmaking, and for the most part, it does pay off. And even though it probably won't stick with everyone, I do, I do think that it shows, there is still more unique things to be done with films. And A24 has, they, they do that perfectly. And Bose is another example of it. I will admit this is Astor's weakest film, but still not a bad film, honestly. And I do need to see it again. So, it's currently playing at film scene at the Chauncey. Check it out if you'd like to. For now, I'm giving Bo's Afraid a 7 out of 10, but that rating could very much change. So we're gonna move on from Bo's Afraid to The Last of Us. Uh, the Last of Us is a HBO TV series based on the video game, The Last of Us, produced by Naughty Dog. And it was created by Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann, which stars Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. And uh, the plot of the last of us the basic summary from imdb is that after a global pandemic destroys civilization a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14 year old girl who may be humanity's last hope i'm not really sure how we're going to approach this because we we don't really talk about tv shows too much on banter we have a we have um in a few instances but this is an exception where it's like something really really strong mm-hmm. and what do we think
1: yeah so um, in the midst of, like, my March Madness coverage of the women's basketball team, I think there were, like, times where, like, you know, I'm, like, I'm, well, I mean, some of the time I'm not really in the setting, I think, you know, it's like go to a press conference and you're done for the day, and so I spent that time, like, you know, doing what I can, and so I turned on The Last of Us, um, and I think throughout that entire run I managed to finish the entire <laughs> show, um, because, well, luckily I kept winning games, um, and, you know, I mean, I played the game um, once, I think it's, and I think it's definitely one of the best video games I've ever played. Um, and I had to say, like, it is very faithful to the game, but it's still very strong. I think what it's doing, it took the story elements from The, la- the Last of Us game and just strengthened And that's the thing I really like about the show. And no, it does take creative liberties. It's not completely like faithful, Um, but it's still, it's faithful enough where it's like, it feels like this is where video game content in terms of TV shows or movies should be going because it really just showed that, you know, The Last of Us had a really great story as a video game and then it just upped it. It's such a, it's so good here in the performance performances are so great and the production design is so great. The makeup and it's just everything just clicks super well with this show. And it's like one of the most like it's like those refreshing watches of like something that you know you played such a long time ago but then all of a sudden you go back to it and it's like this is just amazing. I really dug this show and I think it was definitely worth like a full watch.
2: Yeah, I, um, I've played both, um, first and second a couple times, so it's like, it's probably one of my favorite games ever. Um, it, I definitely agree that it is a faithful adaptation, but it still manages to, um, take new creative liberties, um, for the sake of the story and, um, kind of to pull us away from that, like, video game standpoint, which I really appreciated, like, when it comes to, uh, the amount of, uh... Like clickers and all of them all the monsters throughout it um there's a lot less but when they are present it's scary um they make themselves known and you are just as anxious as you were when you were playing the game um i also loved like the the themes that they explored throughout it um they did a couple episodes that were a little controversial um and i really appreciated that they chose to take that stance and kind of stick with it and Um, present some really beautiful stories in this universe
0: So I I stand in a a different position because I have not played The Last of Us or The Last of Us Part 2 I remember even though I've never played it I do know the bare basics of this story and these characters and I remember when they announced apparently a Last of Us movie or TV show has been in development for a really really long time Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure the exact history of it but this HBO series was Greenlit a few years ago. And when, it, when the first episode came out, I didn't watch the first episode right away, but I saw it was getting like 98% on Ryan's Tomatoes, like super, super high critical praise, which is extremely rare for a video game adaptation. Mm-hmm. So then when the second episode came out, I asked my friend who is a big fan of, of these games, I'm just like, should I watch this show if you, I've never played the game? And he's just like, yes, you should, because it'll be better. You, you, haven't, you don't know what's gonna happen They're Like, All right, sure, I'll check it out immediately in the first episode I was hooked it's just like and it's rare I there's a lot of tv shows that I've never seen in my life before like I there's a list and it's like most of most tv shows but so I'm, it's I would say like this take this with a grain of salt but I truly believe that The Last of Us is one of the best tv shows I've seen in a very long time like my probably my favorite tv show of like the 2010s or 2020s decade has been Stranger Things and this is Really really close to like being being there and I think what's so impressive about it is that it is Such a well-made character piece like you r- really grow to love these characters and this care about this journey there in. It's a post apocalyptic movie and it's not really horror It's more it's it's a drama pretty much <laughs> and that's why I really liked about it It was so refreshing to see that where yeah, there are moments where it is horror based, but it's still Cares and it prioritizes its characters and story over anything else following each chapter even going back in time, too It's not like it's a completely linear story, but whether it be backstories or flashbacks or whatnot It's all interconnected and it makes sense too. like I just really love the world that this series builds and um, I know some a lot of fans. They're kind of I might have to ask you two about this, but just terms like the casting but i loved pedro pascal and bella ramsey as um joel and ellie i think their chemistry is fantastic and they're very very believable too in these roles and more impressively the production design too is amazing especially for a tv show like this has i don't know what the budget was for the series i think i read somewhere is one of the most expensive tv shows produced which i i believe that because the money's <laughs> on the screen it's just like yeah everything looks so authentic and genuine too, and with it looking dilapidated. It's just like, yeah, you could tell that like no one has been in these locations for like years and it's so desolate. So yeah, I have a bit of a different perspective. I was more judging this as a, sto- as a singular story or as I guess a series, but I loved it. Um, because I've not seen, I've not played the games. What were the changes then? Because everyone has said it's a pretty faithful adaptation, but they did take liberties. So like, what are some like big ones? I guess
1: I think a lot of it was like pretty much sacrifice in action. Um, I think you know because you know with video games, a lot of it is about the action. I think it's like going from point A to point B in certain like um, parts of the story, and you know, and then eventually like hitting the ultimate goal. And I think you know the show really sacrificed a lot of like the action-oriented aspects of the game. In focused more on the traumatic aspects that I think really did, I think really served this show well. I think there's this whole episode, um, and I don't think it's very much of a spoiler anymore, but um, where you have Nick Offerman. Um, episode 3. Episode 3. Nick Offerman and what's it was another actor in that scene too. Oh, um, oh, um it's a uh, Mary Bartlett yeah. from, <laughs> from the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. Really good actor. Really good show. You can watch White Lotus if you can, if you want to. Um, but um, it's like you get a scene with those two actors, and it's so beautifully acted. Like it's just beautifully shot, beautifully acted, and it's just, and this is where it's like sacrificing the aspects of like you know this these, these action oriented moments in the game and then just like really amplifying the dramatic purposes of it like it really works so beautifully because you know a lot of times of like video game content they're so focused on the action that they forget the emotions and there's points where they forget focus so much on like one aspect and forget about the other but here it's like Although they sacrificed a lot of the action from the games, they really make it work because the characters are so endearing. And I think that's what made it work, and I think, you know, that's why it works so faithfully as the adaptation, because it captures it nicely, but it captures it enough where it's like, you know, it still feels like it's part of the full story, and I think that's what made it work for me.
2: Yeah, they, um, they also, like, introduced some new characters. Um, okay. Um, Kathleen. Um, Who is played by Melanie Blinsky. She um, is a completely new character. Her storyline is completely new um, Which I found really interesting and smart because it makes people who have played the games Want to stick around and figure out like who she is and how she's going to play a part of their story Um, And I also Yeah, I love like that. They kind of open doors for these characters that are briefly mentioned in the game Um, like Bill and like Frank, um, and also I believe um, Elle's or Ellie's um, love interest in the show um, was like a DLC of the game, and then they turned That's it into an, yeah, they turned it into an entire episode, which was probably my favorite episode um, of the season. It was so beautiful, um, so sad, and. I thought that was really great. They kind of like in a sense retconned a lot of the stuff to include like details from the DLCs and like um, the second game kind of to set us up and set viewers up um, who haven't played the game which I thought was really smart because they totally could have left it all out and kind of prepared us for that second um, season but um, or left us in the dark for that second season but they they set us up beautifully.
0: I think what helps of why this show works so well, not just as from what people say as a video game adaptation, but as a story is because the game was story driven. Yeah. It seemed like, like <laughs> even though I've never played it, I know like that it's very much, you play as the characters and you go, you guide through this narrative. Cause we are talking about this, when we did the Super Mario Brothers episode, I briefly mentioned The Last of Us and just like, there's a reason why something like that hits better because it had the source material it's based on was basically a story and yeah it was a very clear faithful adaptation because they had a good narrative thread along that but mario obviously that's that's another story (laughs) but yeah it's just i cared i think that's the most important is like i care about these characters survival and in a post-apocalyptic movie it's just like you're you want to care about the about characters but it's like okay if they do something really stupid or if they're just like not well defined or their chemistry isn't believable, like you can't, it's hard to get really attached. But because they spend so much time building, building scenes with these characters and, and episodes run, the longest one I think is like 90 minutes. So it's basically a movie in a, in a way. So it's like we spend so much time with them. It's just like, yeah, we really do feel for them. I will say the one, the one downside to the show, and it's a very minor one because I, I, I think every episode in this movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's not a single bad episode it does seem a little rushed near the end and the conclusion it leaves on which i i assume that's from the game and it leads into part two because they are doing season two Mm -hmm. based on part two which i mean i've never i've never played part two i know there's a lot of um discourse around (laughs) part two so i'm just really curious to see how that that will work as a as a series with the fans or just someone like me who hasn't seen it but yeah i think my favorite episodes are probably episode three which is the one with um bill and frank which Mm -hmm. that one was trending on twitter for its representation and it's just very very just beautiful like there's so many beautiful moments there episode 7 was also really sweet and i know some people didn't really like like it but i loved episode 8 with um the can the cannibals <laughs> spoiler i guess but because that when we're talking about the lack of action it's just like because there's a lack of action in in the show when it does hit it's not like personal but it's like oh you they're in danger they're in serious danger they need to fight their way out because they're basically at their low their lowest point and especially ellie too which that's essentially her turning point as a character and it's like it's so satisfying to see she's putting her in like this super dangerous situation and i know some people said it was rushed i thought it was perfect a perfect episode
1: yeah and i think like you know i know there was like <laughs> fans are pretty upset about the casting of Belle Ramsey as ellie because yeah they look nothing like oh, who cares if, as long as long as as, like, as long as they embody the spirit yeah, of the character that's what matters and, and and they do that um they they do that i think bell Ramsey does such a good job with um her, the character in the show and i think really brings out a lot of the emotions of this character but also it's the character is so funny yeah it's, it's, like i think that's like something that you know was present in the game, but it's like, it. they make her so like, charming and like, hilarious, but then like, once you finally get to figure out like where she came from, because I mean, this is probably where, you know, it works for fans that were not familiar with the games is that that episode with her and Storm Reid, where, you know, they really do a good job diving into her backstory. I think it works out beautifully. Like it's a character that you know, has a lot of care, has a lot of charisma and charm and it's just beautifully acted but then you kind of go underneath and like see this is a person that movie really has been through a been, lot been through a lot <laughs>
0: and is very angry at the world but at the same time it does retain her innocence in a sense that's especially highlighted in the earlier episodes of the show so yeah she's, she's probably my fa- favorite character in the mm-hmm. show to tell you the truth just because she has so much depth to her personality and we we see everything. And that's the benefit with this being a show and not a movie, because I think they were going to do, this was going to be a movie at first, was it not? Yeah. Okay, yes. wise decision to switch it over to a TV okay. show. But we'll be right back with more BG Banter after this quick grand spot. Welcome back to BG Banter. We were continuing our conversation on The Last of Us, and Kenzie, you, you also want to touch upon the casting?
2: Yeah, Um. I was just like, I remember when Bella Ramsey specifically was like first announced, um, there was, like, a lot of uh, debate around it. I debated with my, my own father about it. Um, and same thing with uh, Pedro Pascal. But I think they both embody these characters so beautifully. Like, I couldn't see anyone else playing them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Bella Ramsey. I think they they took Ellie, who is already an uh, incredibly constructed character. Um, great representation of, like... Queer teenage girls who are trying to navigate the apocalypse, and just like raise the bar like completely for um, for these types of characters. And I think it really wouldn't have been the same had they casted. um, I think people talked about like Kate Denver and like some of these other younger actresses. Um, I just don't think it would have worked. And I'm really glad they stuck with her because I know like Neil Druckmann constantly got. Um, kind of, like, dragged for for his choice. Um, and same thing with Pedro. Like, he... People wanted the voice actor of Joel to play Joel in the show. Um, oh. Troy Baker, um, who is, who's voiced a lot of people. Um, I think he's been in Uncharted, um, a lot of major video games. But I'm glad that they chose, like, a an actual actor, a Hollywood actor, to do this because... Um, he first off is such a good Western um, actor. He he does so well at em- embodying like that Texas country um, vibe. I, you know we're gonna see it in uh, Pedro Almodovar's new yeah. film with Ethan Hawke. Um, and I'm just glad that like he's also able to show off his own skills, like the angst that Joel has and the pain that he carries with him, um, to the point of like discussing. Um, you know not wanting to be in the world anymore without his daughter which was um made me cry a lot (laughs) sorry for the spoiler but um i think it was a major turning point for his character as well um and we would have not been able to get those scenes without the chemistry between those two actors i think
0: yeah and that's especially highlighted in the first episode too because i Mm -hmm. think the first episode does a great job of introducing everything like the virus the the apocalypse the characters and how they come together and like the whole prologue with um pay with Joel and his now deceased daughter mm-hmm. was like that gives so much context that I think i I assume that's in the game that has yeah. to be in the game yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah, it's like that you knew, and, and then if there was a movie, it would be severely cut, it probably would have been rushed, and yeah, if, if this were a movie, it would probably be like two and a half hours long. I feel like but you would mm-hmm. still miss out so much like they would easily they probably would have cut out. All of episode seven. If this were to be a movie, honestly, especially if you said it was DLC mm-hmm. too. So yeah, I mean, I yeah.
1: especially like that. You know, the benefit of having this as a series, um, I think, because it does kind of help like make it feel more episodic in nature. Um, because you know, for the most of the time, it's like you know, we're in a we're in a completely different setting in each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, each each setting just keeps on changing. And because obviously there's a lot of time to kind of kill, like, you know, in the game there's a lot of time to kill between going between from one place to another Um, which, you know, is typical for a lot of video games, I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 did it, God of War does it Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's common in video games you're on this journey, and while you're on your way, you're going to go across these little side quests and then you're going to go back to your journey Um, the show, like, obviously sacrifices elements like that, and I think with having it Episodic in nature like makes it feel like the passage of time is very fluid. Um, because you can just tell that, you know, like Pascal and Ramsey's characters are growing with each other incredibly nicely. I think they would do such a good job of like demonstrating that passage of time and just showing this relationship grow throughout the throughout the eight episodes. I think it works out
0: beautifully. The, the absence of like sort of that interactivity, kind of like what I touched on in the Mario episode, is that because so much emphasis is placed on interactivity in games, that is hard to translate into a movie or TV show. But because of it, like now we're at a point where games are way more developed than they've ever had before, like narratively-wise, character-wise, and it seems like The Last of Us um I, I i have looked up gameplay footage of it if they, the story comes before any of the action because you are mm-hmm. you are playing as a character going through this narrative yeah there are like side quests you could do but it's core focus its core elements are the story so that's why it translates i think far better into this type of film or tv series so it's and it's why i think as an adaptation it doesn't need to be like oh we need, we need we need some more things from the game we need to have more action but it's like okay when you do add that it's just like then that that's where you get into the elements like the interactivity is lost. Then that's when it feels like it's a bit more awkward. So I'm glad they approached it in that, in that sense by going more the dramatic character study route because it ends up working well for not only fans of the game, but also if you've never played the game too, like watching, it, I was just like, I was, I was never confused. I was never really like questioning anything. If it was, it was because more of the narrative itself, not like the translation of the gameplay mechanics.
2: Yeah, and I feel like they definitely like hit the ground running with the first season, so um, I know they've already um, addressed the fact that the second game is going to have more than one season. Um, oh, really? The, yeah, the second part of the story is going to have more than one season, which, um, honestly, very needed. Um, it's a long game. It's a lot to crunch into one season, so I'm glad that they're choosing to take that route. Um, and I think it probably gives them room if they do a third game um, to not have a Game of Thrones moment and have to venture off from the <laughs> from the game story um, and still remain faithful to um, to whatever's happening on uh, PlayStation or whatever the case um, I'm yeah I'm really excited for the for the second season I think um, the second game was my favorite game I know that's controversial um, but I loved all the characters um, and I love seeing their journeys, um, and I think they're gonna cause some trouble with with the second season. I, but I'm excited for it.
0: I'm very, very curious because even though I've not touched the second game, there was so much discourse around mm-hmm. that game when it came out, and I'm I'm not judging you two obviously, <laughs> but the la- just b- basing just from an outside perspective, the Last of Us fan base just seems like the Star Wars fan base, it's just like, it's so hard to please. (laughs) And it's like, they get really annoyed at like little details. I'm not saying that's, that's you two at all, but (laughs) just like, man, because there was so much discourse, I know so much about the second game, especially with the character of um, Abby. Yeah. And And I, I really want to know how they're going to handle that and how the fans are going to react to that. So, but it seems like this, as long as it has a good story, it's just like, that's worth continuing. I think, isn't that what this is a shout out to some of those last it's like isn't that what you want if the story's good shouldn't you just want it to be translated like properly and like in a fair manner is like not nitpicking or like everything it's just yeah yeah it's the like, discourse around the show is also kind of yeah, silly like, too yeah. <laughs> i mean
1: it's, it's the thing you've got adaptations are adaptations i mean i think you know there's not going to be anything that's like perfectly adapted even like the harry potter book even like the harry potter movies with like you know so much in close proximity with the movies. But the
0: reboot series, though, it's going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but, like, like, the movies being so in close proximity with the books, like, you know, even those could not be completely faithful. There was a lot of things left out of the books. I mean, I think, I got two sisters that could probably attest to the fact that there's a lot of things <laughs> that the movies have glanced over from the books. Um, and, you know, I think with this, it's like, you know, adaptations have to have something like this. And, I mean, that happens all the time and you gotta have these stories to, like, continue on, but it's also, you wanna be able to, like, you know, make it, like, worthwhile for, uh, and accessible for an audience, but also, like, you know, be faithful, and, you know, I think, no, I don't think Blastofus fans are like Star Wars fans, I mean, I think... Oh, you don't think so? I mean, I'm not, like, in a way where Star Wars fans have done negative things to make, like, casting changes and make... A studio quotes in on them, but I do think, like, that you know, with I mean, I think with these fans, like, they're very passionate that they, they want something done correctly. You know, I think this showing the first season of the series, like, you know, has shown them that yeah, this is done pretty much well as it could be. I mean, I think that's kind of what it is. I mean, no you know, it's going to be what's going to happen with Last of Us Part 2 um, and how that's adapted. Um, I think. You know, I personally don't hate the game. I think it, I mean, I don't think it's as good as the first game, but I do think it's still like a nice game. I just think it felt a little bit bloated to me. I mean, it took me five years to finish right there. (laughs) Well, Last of Us Part 2, I'm still like getting through in some way, but you know, I think it's close to the end now, hopefully. But I do think that, you know, I, I don't know, I think like, you know, people just got like, you know, give them a grand salute. You know, I think the creators and the writers and the actors have always shown a lot of respect towards the game and the fan base and just, you know, really want it to be good. So.
0: Before we get into our final thoughts, there was one question that I actually forgot to ask. In episode two, when they introduced the clickers and um, the last, in one of the final scenes with Tess, the infection is spread, spoilers for episode two, the infection is spread via mouth. Like it's like a kiss. Mm -hmm. I know that apparently that was changed from the game. Was it not? And like, there were some fans that weren't too happy about that.
2: Um, Yeah, so like- (laughs) What was the deal with that? The, the mush, they're originally like um, mushrooms that like pop um, and that's how you are infected or you're bitten um, as a typical zombie manner, obviously. Um, But yeah, this one, they introduced the little, I what they're called, um, through, through kissing and like, it's very odd, but I actually really like the change. They had said that like it, they couldn't um, do the mushroom thing for a lot of reasons, like it would have, um, the fungus, for like uh, a lot of reasons that wouldn't have worked and like they would have had to wear gas masks through a lot of the show. Um, oh, true. And it would have disrupted, um, you know, the characters and the way they looked, so. I think it was a smart change. I think it definitely um, still works with the story.
1: Yeah, I personally don't mind the change. I think you know, obviously they they want to be sure that you know the actors and the cast are protected, because um, obviously you don't want like you know a show with just gas masks throughout. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that I don't know, that might have would have made the fan base more mad than. If they showed that with gas mask, I think this was just kind of a good happy medium, and personally, yeah, I online. I think I find it a little bit more unsettling in that yeah. regard, because like it feels like the clickers are in very like are in your personal space. And yeah, I think it's much more like intimidating.
0: What's, kind of uh, I, I took it as someone who wasn't really familiar. I took it as sort of like that a twisted um, sort of re- mm-hmm. I, I don't know, if reinterpretation, but like take on just the on, on just the theme of love because that's such an mm-hmm. important element of the show and especially because we're that was following episode one which really just shows that sense of devotion then it's in the opposite way where it's like that can kill you basically that's what i thought was kind of cool about that but and then i just saw the response to where i'm like oh that wasn't in the game that seems like it would it fits so well thematically so just that was just a question but we're just about out of time on the lap for our conversation on the last of us so final thoughts
1: just a great first season of a tv show i think there is a uh, lot to like here i think Pedro Pascal and Bell Ramsey put in great performances, their characters have phenomenal chemistry, the production design is very pristine, like it's very faithful to the game and it just makes the elements of the game much stronger when it's processed in the film form and honestly this is just, I have no issues with this show, I think I cannot even think of a thing to really hate about it. I think all the right changes are made and you know it, really works out for me. Even like the last episode, although it did drag a little bit, I still think it Oh, you thought it dragged? Not not dragged, but I do think it like, you know I don't know. I (laughs) thought I thought it ended too
0: too quickly. I wanted it to be longer. I don't know,
1: like pacing was a little bit off, I mean I would say that. I don't know. My I'm still processing bows right right now. But (laughs) um, I mean I do think it still like was entertaining. I think dude I mean this was a show where you know was this fucked from beginning to end and I really and you know, I'm curious what they're gonna do with the second game and yeah, I mean I as, as show is zero issues. I mean, this is just a ten out of ten for the first season.
2: Yeah, I um I was anticipating this uh, show for a long time because of how much I love the games. Um and it did not let me down at all. I think um definitely a ten out of ten. I'm very excited for the second season, um and I'm excited to see how they tackle a lot of the topics in the second season because It gets a lot more dark um, and just uh, a lot more discomforting for viewers. So, yeah,
0: yeah, the show is amazing. I really loved everything about it Um, makes me want to play the game. I would love to go play the game now. But Mm -hmm. yeah, even if you've played the game, I think we've said we have people here that have played the game, someone who hasn't played the game doesn't matter. It's a great show. And I think that's what's important is that now is just a solid adaptation, but at its core, It it has that great story and that translates very well into a different medium, regardless of your attachment to the source material. So yeah, it's just very, very fascinating um, world building and just character growth and development and I am very much excited for season two and if if it is going to be in two parts, season three as well. I'm also going to give it a 10 out of 10. I will be honest I do rate TV shows on a slightly different criteria than a movie so if this were a movie I don't know what my rating would be but yeah even though not everything is like 100% flawless which is like as a whole it's consistent I think that's what gives it the 10 out of 10 for me. So that wraps up this episode of Bijou Banter tune in next week where we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Latest MCU project and James Gunn's last Marvel project, and probably, and our last Bijou banter episode. Yeah, so until next time, I've been Matthew.
2: I've been Daniel. And I'm Mackenzie.
0: We'll see you all next time. Bye bye.